Sergeant. How are you, Sam? You must have been held up at Mount Kenneth Field. We knew you arrived two hours ago. Oh, I had a friend's aunt for a passenger. Had to get the old lady home first. Today, last week or yesterday, whenever we did it, uh, we watched um, When Worlds Collide, um, a film that I had seen before, but which Dave hadn't, which is usually the other way around. Yeah, never seen it before. Never seen it before. You know, the name's one of those things that you've, you've seen kind of on streaming platforms and in books and blah, blah, blah. And do you know what? I actually thought I probably had seen it because it's just one of those films, you know, Sunday afternoon during the 70s kind of films. But no, definitely never seen it. And I was blown away from the first watch. Loved it. Yeah, it's it, it's an interesting one. Sort of early on in those like sort of um, golden age fifties uh, sci-fi films. One of the earlier ones. They did actually try and make a remake in the nineties. Did they now? That that would be thematically appropriate because you've got ones like Deep Impact. It's funny you should say Deep Impact because it was going to be it was going to be a remake of When Worlds Collide, then it was going to be a kind of a merge of When Worlds Collide and then a similar novel into something like an original IP inspired by. And then competing film company was going to release Armageddon. Mm. So the project was changed into Deep Impact. So it became Deep Impact. It did. But in the end cuz they changed so much they didn't bother putting the inspired by. <laughs> Zyra is about the same size as our Earth. Both these bodies are coming into our solar system. If Bronson's readings are correct, they will destroy the Earth. How far away from us are they? The calculator will be precise. I would estimate about three billion miles. Billion? Well, if people start worrying a hundred years from now. Mr. Randall, you've been flying ships faster than sound for many years. These bodies are moving thousands of times faster. They can be upon us in less than one year. Now, I repeat, all this depends on Bronson's findings being correct. The planet Zyra will pass very close to us, close enough to influence the tides. Oceans will be torn from their depths. Tidal waves hundreds of feet high will sweep in from the coasts. There will be giant earthquakes. Handfuls of people may survive if provisions are made. We'll make them. Every possible effort. Whatever help my factories can give, we will give gladly. It will be useless. Soon after, Bellus will come into direct collision with the Earth. Our world will end. There is no error. The premise of this film is that some scientists discover that a rogue solar system is colliding with our own, or more specifically, is about to collide with the planet Earth. The star is called Belus, which is orbited by a single planet, Zyra. Although the Earth survives the near miss by Belus with um, sort of earthquakes and things like that, um, it goes so close to Zyra, or Zyra comes so close to the Earth, that it results in the destruction of the Earth. And so the, these scientists decide they're going to try and create a uh, rocket, although set in a time when rockets didn't yet exist. They were, well, Things like the V1 and V2 rockets existed, but the, the space program was only very, very early on. These hey, so this is, what, six years after the Second World War's come to an end? Yeah, this is very early on. Um, 
I think Sputnik, I should have looked up this day, but I think Sputniks are good like five or six years later, um, maybe even more. Actually, I'm going to look that up because that, that feels like yeah. that research things. But I might leave in the bit about me saying, oh, bugger, I should have looked it up. Um, Sputnik. It'll bring up the vaccine, won't it? Sput- no, Sputnik 1, 1957. Yeah, so there you go. Sputnik didn't go into orbit until 1957, so even the the very idea of what vehicle you use to get into space hadn't been decided on yet. So it's it, the rocket is a bit more like a plane than it than it is like a rocket. Yeah, it's a bit more. It's, it's a bit more like the space shuttle, isn't it? Than uh, you know, and it, yeah, and it, and it goes off a big slider. I love those big yeah, slider like things. Yeah, like a ramp that goes down and goes. Yeah, yeah. Goes up. I, I sort of when I was watching, I was watching it with my dad, and I sort of said, "Oh, that's a well, they got that wrong then." And my dad said, "Well, actually, it's not a bad idea." And when I said some things, I can't remember what he said, but apparently, according to my dad, who knows a lot about these things, it wasn't that bad of an idea. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if if things like that happen in the future, to be honest. But anyway, yes. So can we can what can I just say one thing before you finish with the plot? Because I love the idea. That this wasn't just a sun crashing into the earth or something like that. That it was this couple kind of double whammy. Yeah, and I, and that's it, a good point. That's a really interesting move, and and it's completely unnecessary in a sense, right? It's unnecessary <laughs> for it's unnecessary for the drama, but it's great for the psychology of the movie. You know, it, it's got because mm. they get to do this bit where yeah, look, so this planet is going to come really near us. It's going to pass by. It's going to be earthquakes. The the ocean bed is going to be ripped up. Volcanoes are going to explode. Most of the human race will, will be wiped out. But there'll be few pockets of people that will survive, and all of this, that, and the other. And everyone's going, "All right, okay." And they go, and then five days <laughs> later, right, the sun will swing round and it will crash straight into the earth, and we'll all die after it. Oh, right, okay. It's like <laughs> I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. Which one do you want first? <laughs> Yeah, it's um, dramatically really interesting, and I guess really coming from the speculative fiction basis of it, of like just sort of looking, well, what would happen if a solar system? Well, it depends on whether the whether the sun or the planet hit you first, and then you pick the one that's more dramatically interesting. It is from a novel. This it is from a novel. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I didn't realise that until today. I was like, oh, I would have actually read. Apparently, that. our friend Hannah has a copy of it sitting Ooh. on her bookshelf because her boyfriend. Big sci-fi reader. Oh right, does he listen to our podcast? Of, of course. <laughs> you Who hesitated. doesn't? You hesitated. Yeah, there'll always be hesitation yeah. there. Right. Yeah. Anyway, so sorry, interrupted you there, but I thought that would be just a a, a quick aside. I thought that was a really well. I mean, nice to be fair, moment. it wasn't actually an interruption, except in your mind, because I had finished the plot. Because that's basically it. The only thing to sort of mention is that there is a love plot. Um. Uh, you know, it's it's there. Um, not not the film's not really about it though. It's um, like you know how like in Titanic, another disaster movie. You know, the 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 the, the sort of the love story is the center. Of, yeah. Of yeah. How... So, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This is the inverted model. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Sort of this the disaster thing that sort of shows you. But it it a lot of it's very sort of factual. There's some interesting bits with with the love story, but it feels very theatery. It's very Aristotelian in in the sense that you know it's just very efficient in way itself. These two people meet and they fought, they have fallen in love, and then they end up together. Um, you don't really see the the, the but character it, but development, it, but it there. does. I, I I mean the the love stories, and I think there's more than one actually, possibly mm. even three. Right, okay. the love stories 
kind of put the end of the world into context. You know, there's Joyce. She's going along. She's going to be married to Tony Drake and everything seems all right. And suddenly this guy called Randall, the main protagonist of the film, enters into her life. He's a bit of a rake. A rake? You know, a bit of a lad. You know, the first time we meet him, it's kind of like the end scene of a Bond movie with him... (laughs) with him in a monoplane cuddling up to a young lady and he's a bit late for his assignment because he had to drop her off somewhere in a in a very metaphoric image of a plane diving down into uh, South Africa. And um, he kind of falls in love and kind of rede- uh, redeems. And he, up until that point, every every woman he meets, he's kind of eyeing up or they're eyeing him up. The, yeah. the, the, the woman on the aeroplane, for instance, uh, and then the first time he meets Joyce, you know. But then the first conversation he has with her, she lets it slip that the end of the world is coming. And he, he, he's, he's a real dupe at the beginning. of. The, I mean, the film the setup's great. He gets called in to run... Um, uh, the, a courier job. Yeah, a courier job to run the information from South Africa via Lisbon all the way to New York to this other observatory where they, um, the data can be processed and the final decision can be made as to is the world going to end. But they don't don't tell the guy anything. You know, he doesn't really know what he's carrying. He's carrying this black box. It's referred to as a black box. He doesn't know what's in it. Mm. Uh, we're brought into the film in that sense. We're alongside with him. We don't know. And the first time is with this... You know, he meets this this lovely woman who's who you know he's going to try it on with, and she basically tells him, lets it slip that the the world is going to die, and uh, and it kind of it's played jokingly. He doesn't really know if he's understanding what she's saying, but but at that point it changes who he is. Yeah. Or it starts the change. He's still wanting the cash on delivery when he first gets there, but but that's the beginning <laughs> of the change of him. And she's changed by meeting him as well, and they don't really understand it. You know, the, what the filmmaker's trying to do, they're trying to bring this big, devastating event down to a human level that we can understand. Yeah. In other words, it's upsetting the normal plans of life. He would have gone on to another job, another woman, da 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 She would yeah. have got married to the very upstanding surgeon. They would have had kids. This event changes everything. I haven't any more right to a ride on that ship than any other man in this camp. I'll grant you that. I'll even admit my motive was a selfish one. I want to do things according to Hoyle, Dave, but, well, Joyce is pretty important to me. And to me? I'm glad. I'd do anything to ensure her chances, wouldn't you? It isn't a free ride for Joyce. She, she's qualified to go. No more than some others. We're stretching the point because she's important to both of us. Well, why not, for her sake, stretch the point a bit farther to include you? Now... Now, look, Doctor, I, I've wrestled with this thing for weeks. I, I can give you a dozen reasons why I shouldn't go. Can you give me one good reason to include me? She wants you, Dave. That'll change. Tony will be there. She, she's used to having him around. They would have been married if I hadn't come into the picture. Anyhow, why worry? Maybe I, maybe I drew a lucky number. You didn't take any number from that box? I'd mentioned there were two other uh, love scenes as well, or, 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 yeah. or, or lines through. And just worth there's a lovely kind of almost aside with this young couple. Yes, with, um, I found out from a YouTube video I watched, the male part of that couple was the first ever TV uh, Superman. Really? Yeah. Heavens. <laughs> 
Later or earlier than that? Earlier. He, he had already been Superman. Right, okay. Yeah, I love that little story. They keep kissing, they keep meeting. They yeah. when everyone gets sent to the bunker and put into their bunk beds and the men go into one dormitory and the women go into the other. They have a kiss before they go off in different directions. So they've got, what, 600 people working there. Only 40 of them are going to be able to go onto the, onto the spaceship to save them from um, the, this double whammy. He's chosen, she isn't. And then there's that kind of reprieve at the end as well. So that's a lovely little story. Yeah. And then there's the other story of Mike, the little boys that saved, who then goes on and saves the dog, and the dog has puppies. And I think that, in its own yeah. way, is a little love story as well. So this idea of love and changing relationship, the human dimension of it is, is played at a number of levels throughout the film. There is a possibility, a very remote one, that a few people may be saved. The world will be destroyed, but a few people will be saved? The world, our world, will come to an end on August 12th in slightly more than eight months. There is no margin for error in that, sir. But we believe that the planet Zyra once contained living matter. We believe, and this is theory, not certainty, that some form of vegetation may still exist on Zyra. You are proposing that we all pack our trunks and move to... Uh, Zyra. Zyra? <laughs> no, sir. But we are hoping that, with God's help and guidance, a few people may do exactly that. 20th century Noah's Ark, huh? <laughs> yes, one or more of them, as many as can be built in this short time. Eventually, as Zyra and Bella speed closer toward us, even a layman will be able to see the danger. Much as a train looms up in the distance, in an instant it is upon you. With enough funds, labor, and material, Dr. Fry believes that rocket ships can be built to fly to Zyra, which will be closest to us. But remember, eight months is very little time for construction. Only if work begins immediately can this be done. If you wait until the danger is visible to the naked eye, it will be too late to escape. Bellus and Zyra will be upon us and crush the earth. That is my So the film opens up with um, uh, references to the uh, story of Noah's Ark in Genesis, uh, where God decides he's had enough of the people, is going to destroy the world, and picks... Can I read some of it out and you put a sound effect on like I'm the voice of God? No. No. Oh. No, just no. I, oh, okay. All right. I don't think I don't think I could do that in a way that wasn't really cliched. What's the what's your problem with cliches, my friend? Look at half the films we look at. But anyway, carry on, carry on. I'll put you off. I'll put you off. Carry on talking about the corrupt humans, a corrupted earth, the end of flesh, this this genocidal god. Let's let's get into that. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that summarises what's going on there quite well. And um, so what we've got a story there is a chosen few, um, while others are sort of left behind. And obviously there's a moral take on that as well. Harder to see where the morality lies on in this film. The only real kind of antagonist other than people's just refusal to admit that this is going to happen. Um, even, but even that's not really an obstacle because mm. there's nothing you can do to save the people anyway except save a few best and brightest of the city. There's obviously a moral decision there. Is um, Sidney Stanton, this uh, entrepreneur who's uh, funded the, the ship, the, 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 the last bit of funding needed to, um, to take off, compared to the philanthropist who just gave the money freely. He wanted to be able to pick yeah. who was going, and he wanted to definitely be on it. Um, so there is a kind of not anti-capitalist, but anti-greed ethic there. But ultimately, the, big, the main difference between this story in Noah's Ark is that the saviour is science. Well, that's interesting, because I think you're right. Because 
You mentioned the, how it opens, and it's worth saying that visually, what we see are two pages of the Bible with a kind of choir swelling behind. It's not read out. Yeah, because I I'd, I'd sort of seen written somewhere that it was going to open with that. I was like, oh, okay. It's nice to hear. Like, uh, you know, uh, what's what's his face? He played Moses, as who I would have picked to read it out. Um, uh, Charlton Heston. Yeah, Charlton Heston. Right, yeah, yeah, reading no, that you, out. Something that, dramatic that, voice. No, it's yeah. just, as you say, it's just the... And then there's a t- page turn. We get the second page. You know, I will destroy them with the earth, p- people with yeah. the earth. But then King James cuts. translation. Oh, very good. I thought you might know a bit more about it than me. I couldn't even <laughs> bother to look up if it, it was a real verse or just Hollywood version. It's the prosy version. Okay. and But then it's worth saying, because this is why I, I wanted to mention this, it's a double start. We get that opening, but then it immediately does cut to a different scene of an of a, of a solar system, stars in the universe, little spinky things. Mm. And there is a narrator. Now we've got a narrator. Needles in a heavenly haystack. There are more stars in the heavens than there are human beings on the earth, blah, blah, blah. You know, the telescopes of men of science constantly are searching out, you know, to discover the laws of the solar system and all of this, that, and the other. And then that leads us into the, you know, there's observatories watching out into space to find stuff out, you know, placed on high places. And then that leads us into the film. Mm -hmm. At the very end of the film, of course, we return to an image that is very resonant of the opening with the Bible. It says, the first day on a new world had begun. These 40 people, uh, various animals, all descend from the ark and enter into this new promised land, this new world. I mean, there's resonances there with um, the Americas as well, of course. Mm. Yep. I I was thinking to myself, and there's a question I wanted to ask you. It seemed to me like 951, this is playing to two audiences simultaneously. Yeah, it wants Middle America with the Bible Belt. Yeah. And it wants the East and West Coast with the scientists, with the more science you people. You cynic. I just think, I think that's <laughs> a, it's, it's sandwiched between the two because it didn't need to start with either of them. All right, I'll pay for the rest of your art. Splendid. One thing, I select the people who'll go with us. This won't be a commercial liner. There may be space for 40 or 50 human beings, some machinery and livestock. The minimum needs to begin a new life. You're not qualified to select those people. Nevertheless, I reserve that privilege. Make up your mind. It is made up. You admit you don't relish dying. You're willing to put up this money as life insurance. The guarantee that if the world ends, you'll be among the few with a chance to reach this new world. That makes my proposition a simple one. Your money for your life. We'll do the picking together. Half and half. No. Why not? Why should you set yourself up as the only one to give life or take it away? The proposition still stands. Your money for your life. You know I can't refuse. Build it. I I mentioned at the beginning that I felt that the love stories, I mean, they're they're there and they sort of have these sort of human facts and there's some like brilliant human moments in it, but you only really get these snapshots over the, the real story, the real plot, the narrative. Is actually the science that's going on. It's the discovery of it in um, this observatory in South Africa, and then um, you get this courier thing of the science being delivered and traveling across the world to the place, and then it goes into I think did they call it a differential engine? I can't remember the name they give for the early the, the differential analyzer. Yes, differential, yeah, so differential analyzer. Which, which um, I'm presuming is a reference to 
uh, Charles Babbage's Difference Engine. Very good. Like it. Because like computers, incredibly new technology. I'm not even sure that it had been declassified that we had them in the war, um, or at least in the, in the, in the UK, um, the one that Turing built. I don't think that had been declassified. Do you want to look that one up on Wikipedia as well no, so you can pretend no, I that feel you like, know what... I, okay. I feel like um, we can be a bit James O'Brien Mystery Hour and like people can look up for themselves. Actually, that's the opposite of James O'Brien's Mystery Hour, but that is indeed a tangent. But yeah, so it's it's this story of um, the science doing its work, and you know the scientists going to the global leadership, the newly formed United Nations, which can't have been there for longer than a couple of years, and the scientists say, "Hey, I've got this story of woe, and you know, the, you know, there's not much we can do to sort of save people." And you know, I mean, would you believe um, the governments of the world ignoring a scientific warning of a coming? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think that's really good. Yeah, coming with it's the here it's the French, it's the French that the ambassador who's the main antagonist in that. Yeah, I think the 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 UK one goes along with it as well. I think. Yeah, Um, yeah, very cool. And then you've got they've got these other scientists and they call them. I love that bit because it ends with uh, one of the scientists in this other camp standing up and saying. You know, predicting the end of the world is an is a yearly crackpot activity, and I never thought yeah. I'd see you, a proper scientist, do it. And we cut immediately to a newspaper seller, and he's going, "End of the world, just around the corner." I just <laughs> just thought that that move from from penthouse to pavement, so to speak, yeah, from <laughs> from you know this big serious thing down yeah. to when the media gets hold of it. Lots of really well, I thought at moments, so, and. The most sympathetic representative in the UN is the representative of India, which would have only been released from the British Empire a couple of years before as well. Yeah, yeah. He, um, that, that guy's, you know, kind of trying to find information out from the scientists where everyone yeah. else has kind of stood back, sat back in their seats, you know, ready to jump in to poo-poo <laughs> this stuff that's going on. Would never happen in real life, would it, Dave? No, no not at all. <laughs> People would take scientists seriously every moment. So one of the the scenes that I th- it's only quite short, but I think it's really really powerful. Um, it's when they first arrive at the bunkers. Um, you know, the place they're going to build this rocket ship and get everything together. Mm. And be- prior to that, we've had um, both David Randall's been found a job because Joyce fancies him, and the the, the head scientist, Doctor Hedron, her father you know, gets him a job and he's kind of like rallying the male troops, so to speak, the engineers and stuff like that, while Joyce is looking after the the agricultural uh, scientists. And, and of course, all of these people, these engineers and these agriculturalists, they're all young, vibrant people, you know, that uh, they've been selected for their skills, but also for their breed. It's never mentioned, but for their breeding potential to to yeah. recreate the human race. So they, they, they got that. But the the moment that I really like is when they first arrive. It's uh, this montage sequence, of, uh, or rather, two very long long um, tracking shots. And one's a close up. It goes along a bookshelf. And it, in other words, what are we going to take with us? Yeah. Mm. What what knowledge? Are we going to retain when we've owned, when we've got to weigh every single pound? They weigh the, the little puppy to see if they can take it or not. Yeah, <laughs> um, 
and it's the Bible. There's Shakespeare in there, but most of the books are like how to grow stuff, how, how <laughs> to build that. stuff, and all of that. So it grows all yeah. that. I think that's absolutely lovely. And then, then it goes to um, a load of animal stalls, you know. And it, this is where the Noah's Ark, yeah. you know, animals two by two, really comes in because we go along that, and there's lots of pairs of animals. That's, that's you not know. canon. I. See no 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 see all right go on no wait 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 for it that is the only time on this podcast or indeed I would be willing to wager you know any sci-fi podcast where someone says that's not canon it actually accurate to what the word means what the word canon means yeah (laughs) very I thought your objection was going to be different but no I like that that was a good interjection yes no I fully endorse your but um, um, it's the the two by two things from the song it's not it's not the uh, well um, all right you know I'm 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 going with the song Um, (laughs) so we go along all of the animals in in the cage and then of course it goes into a medical room where people being tested for their physical fitness. So it's like this kind of move from from knowledge and books through all of the animals to the people we're going to send. And it's never really kind of explicitly pointed out that that this selection criteria is not as simple as the drawing of lots. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, Selection has been happened way down the line before that, many, many times. Pre-selection. Yeah, pre-selection and another set of pre-selections and another set of pre-selections. You know, yeah. And then he's like, and then there's me and my daughter and her boyfriend and uh, this kid yeah. and the dog. To and then f- we'll do the. <laughs> to be fair, though, the um, Doctor Hendron does sacrifice himself and essentially murder the uh, our capitalist millionaire friend yeah. Stanton, which is which is a nice end. He takes it very well, I think. Who does? Stanton. Oh, I no. No, no. Oh, yeah, no, he gets out of the, the wheelchair he, and he stuff. He gets out get of the there, wheelchair. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, was it Lazarus? Pick up your bed. You know, there's a real moment of this is an overwhelming moment where he stood up, you know, where he stood up and he's kind of reaching out his hands as his spaceship's going, taking off without him. The emotion mm. that's generated out of that that one act, I think, is, mm. is an incredible bit of a... Uh, Bit of plotting, bit of visual visual coding, so to speak. Hey, get on board! Hold the gangplank! Dr. Hendon! Hold the raft! Wait! We're the extra fuel they might need, Stanton. The new world isn't for us, it's for the young. So, um, this is a film I saw once as a kid, most likely on a bank holiday watching um uk gold on pre-digital cable television right and there were three scenes that i remembered that really stuck in my mind and when i saw them again watching it it was like nothing in them surprised me they've been that sort of emblazoned into my mind nicely put um in no particular order they are that final scene where they um you know they come out of the plane and everything's animated we'll probably talk about that one last so it's probably best to come you know he wants to go first must come last uh, we've got to get all these Bible references on this one. <laughs> yeah, half of them are going to go over my head. You realise that? Yeah. <laughs> there is the uh, the disaster sequence, and in particular, a shot of lava rolling down a hill. Although I did find out in my research that some of those shots were reused for other films, so it is possible that I saw another film that used some of those shots, reused for other films, or taken for they, they or... were co- they were copied and used in other films. So right, this was okay. the original. Okay, um, cool. And the other one. Um, the final one was the scene where they pick up. Um, so you got um, 
David Randall, the pilot, Tony Drake is the um, sort of the ex-boyfriend of Joyce. And they, they're sort of coming along in a helicopter to rescue this kid mm. um, that they've seen. And uh, what happens is David gets out and passes the, the child up, up, up the ladder or the rope or something like that. And then the helicopter um, sort of like leaves and sort of does a circle. And there's sort of a moment like, oh my God, is he going to leave him? Yeah. Is he going to bloody leave him? And then yeah. he comes back, picks him up. Um, and then uh, Randall says to the to the doctor, yeah, I thought you were going to leave me then. And uh, he sort of looks and does like a joke. Yeah, I won't tell why I thought about it or something like that. Yeah. That really stuck in my head. Yeah, that was, a, that, was a pow- that was a really powerful moment. And that's where, you know, another, uh, going back to, you know, the love interest and the, and, and, and the, uh, the, the love triangle really yeah. plans out at an existential level. Mm. And that guy is just too decent. He wants yeah. to leave, but he's just too decent to leave. Yeah. But the temptation's there. I think there's a, there's a lot about temptation in this film. Mm, that's a good notice. So when he's bringing the black box to America, first of all, he gets offered m- money a number oh, of God, times. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, then the re- there's a note that he gets on the aeroplane. There's, a, there's a, um, the, the, the report from the Sentinel, Donovan from, oh, it's Donovan from the Sentinel, um, turns up and they've upped the money again. And he keeps refusing it. You know, he refuses it for a different reason. I think he, he's kind of fallen in love with Joyce when he's first seen her. And that's why he's not going to do it. He doesn't want to look like a, like a cad in front of her. Mm. But, the, but you're right. The, the temptation to just grab what, given that the whole universe, uh, the, whole, the whole world's coming to an end, the temptation yeah. to grab what you can and then stepping back from it. Think about the moment when he's lighting the money up. Yeah, that's mm. a moment where he kind of, he realizes he's you know none of this stuff matters anymore yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know yeah it's a bit like um that scene in hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy where ford goes to the bartender when they're still on the earth and gives him all of his change and the book goes what change from a fiver because it's from the 1970s and that's a lot of money i assume and he says yeah you've got five minutes to spend it <laughs> <laughs> yeah very good yeah hey mike don't you want to see the sunrise <laughs> Our first citizen. And they're all mine. They sure are. Everyone. <laughs> well, let's leave Watsis and the puppies here, huh? Now, let's go look at the first sunrise, huh? <laughs> I think you're right. There is this morality that runs all the way through it, and I think it is a you know Judeo-Christian idea of um, greed versus um, selflessness and um, sort of rising above um, those sorts of interests and um, being being better, trying to sort of like improve yourself in these ways. And you know, although we were talking about sort of the science and religion aspects of it, I mean, it being you know. Those two things aren't necessarily in conflict. I mean, um, to use an image from John Paul II, the uh, two wings of a dove um, working together, in your, because it's not enough to have the science and the technology. There has to be the decency there as well, or at least what the film thinks the decency is. Yeah. I mean, the scientist is like the moral arbiter of this, and it, you know, it's, you know, it's impossible to take that, to do that morally, um, of, of just sort of like dividing who's, who's going, who's staying. But the, 
they're doing it for reasons that aren't for personal gain. Like, yeah. um, it's a pragmatic. I mean, there's a, it's, it's a real American pragmatism yeah. going through the main scientist, um, Doctor Hendron. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 yeah. You know, how does he get the money out of Stanton and get his mm. way? Yeah, he just simply says to him, you know, I know you don't want to die. You want to get on this plane. You don't get to choose who goes on yeah. it. Your money and, or your life. Yeah, your money or your <laughs> life. It's, it's, it's total pragmatism there. Yeah. But, it, but then, again, you know, he sacrifices himself. It only just occurs to me now, but it's a bit like Moses not being able to enter paradise or enter the promised land because he committed murder. Um, did he? Sort of like the, yeah. He, um, Who did he kill? The, at least in the film, he kills a. Uh... You had a pop at me for quoting, you know, the song. <laughs> anyway, carry on. Um, I did think about buying a decent translation of Exodus, but anyway, so um, he kills um, a governor played oh, by that, yeah, that's, that's uh, sounds... played by a really famous English actor in the film. That sounds familiar. Um, the one, the one, the one who isn't the one who did the War of the Worlds narration. That's a that's there's a there's a whole tier of fractal negatives going on there. Let's just do it. <laughs> right, I'm gonna like I'm it. gonna look this up because I'm it's really annoying me. Um, the Ten Commandments. I'm kick myself on air. Not Burton. Might have been Burton. But Richard Burton. Yeah, it was Richard Burton. There we go. Cool. Uh, that yeah. was a pure guess, not memory, by the way. Yeah. So Richard. Anyway, he kills Richard Burton, and because he's killed Richard Burton, he's not allowed to enter the Promised Land. Um, so it's a bit like you know the Doctor Hendron has done evil as part of his um, is 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 sort of sorting the wheat from the chaff yeah. Bible references and um, and therefore cannot is is not made for the promised land. I mean, how does he put yeah. it? It's for the young. It's yeah. how he justifies it. Yeah, you know, and and I guess that's the only moral way of being the selector is not selecting not yourself because yeah. you can't be a selector and a selectee and maintain any kind of moral yeah. uh, high ground. Yeah, I like that. We've 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 alluded to it. It's a bit, it's, I just want to think about this: the idea of apocalypse here, this idea of Armageddon, the Last Judgment, Doomsday, however you want to put it. It's there throughout Christian and Jewish scripture, you know, Mayan calendar, Hindu scriptures. Uh, it gets picked up in the Romantic period by people like mm. Blake and Holderin. Revelation keeps coming back. We've we've know of all of these end of the world cults. That of you know the world end of the world is coming millennium bug you know the end yeah. the the mind calendar was supposed to happen in two thousand and two I think anyway all of this sort of stuff there know? is actually a conspiracy theory based on this film well alleged I think it is based on this film about the idea that there's a star that NASA is not telling us about that if you go to Antarctica you can see with the naked eye and you like think that. it's this film not Deep Impact or something like that which came a lot later well Deep Impact's not about a star okay oh sorry so it's about a star all right okay yeah that's a yeah. fair point. Mm, okay, yeah. Well, there you go. But it's, uh, you know, I want to talk, you know, not about the, the eschatology, the religious dimension, theology, mm-hmm. but more about the desire, the desire for the end of the world. You know, the first day of the new world begun. I think that's the third time I've said it. Yeah, the, you know, how it's put in that biblical text that we're going to start again. We can have a blank slate and there'll be survivors and there'll be almost like a back to nature kind yeah. of, we'll get rid of this, this corruption as the sisters of mercy would say. And it's like, 
the desire, bring it on, bring on the uh, Armageddon, bring on the apocalypse because the righteous will survive or people will survive. I just want to talk about that from kind of like, you know, lob this at you and talk about where would the kind of the existentialist dimension of this this stand because existentialism is often is often seen you know in when people are wearing polo necks and in and in coffee shops as being very individualistic confronting your own death but but it seems to me that the this kind of film has got a kind of like a, a want and desire for it to happen not even to survive yeah but this is something that's got to happen there's got to be this kind of like big event and it seemed to me that it's kind of like truly absurd in 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 the way <laughs> Camus would see it, yeah, yeah. And I think absurd in it can be put on a wide screen and seen for the whole of humanity as being mm. the the absurd. So this is more of me just wanting because I know you you you're, you you do existentialism. You you, you think about philosophy coming out of a number of existentialist thinkers and i just wanted the opportunity to just to ask you this question what is this desire for the end of the world well i think it's a great question i think that comes back to the the quote i really need to find out who wrote that not now though um the um it's easier to imagine the uh, end of the world than a minor change in in like economic circumstances i think that works on an existential as well as a political level you know, it's easier to imagine death sometimes than a change in the way that life works. And, you know, I mean, I mean, think of, I mean, taking it away from the full Camusian sort of like death thing, if you come down to more, like when people get stuck in a really awful job and they don't do anything about it. I mean, part of that's because, you know, capitalism is a fib, to put it mildly. Oh, that's, I, I want a banner. <laughs> capitalism is a fib. Um, but you know, people people sort of stick to it because the job has become all of their life, and they can't imagine it going away. And it's almost like, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever had this feeling. I certainly have, where I would have almost rather just be fired than continue working, but that I haven't got the energy to or, or the imagination left. I can't imagine myself in anything but this job. That's a really good observation, and and I I think everyone's felt that, and in, indeed. I mean, people talk about self-sabotage, like it being a bad thing. <laughs> mm. But sometimes you do self-sabotage relationships. Why do some people, do they still do this? I don't know. I haven't been out of the house. I, don't, I haven't met another human being. You <laughs> have been out of the people... house. We went for a drink on Sunday. I'm playing, to the, I'm playing to the, the audience. My point oh, would okay. be, you know, people have affairs. Why? To break up a marriage, you know. Mm. And people, people will do things at work in order to get fired yeah. because they can't do it themselves. Absolutely. Now, what that to bring back to the existentialist thing, going to Sartre, and this is one of the... We've got an iffy relationship with Sartre, but this is one of the things I absolutely agree with him on. The reason why we do these things is a kind of denial of our own freedom. I've got a more limited view of freedom than Sartre does. You know, you know in a capitalist society, you can't just will yourself into a new job, but you can always make your decisions and you can always choose how you're reacting to a situation within, within limits. And the way Sartre would put this is that basically, because it, the real horror is that you choose everything and the burdens that come with that, that really there's nothing stopping you from doing X. That's the real horror. We kind of let ourselves slip into thinking that oh, there are other powers involved. 
to the point where we would need a you know we need this big event that will sort it out for me the example that came to mind while you were talking about this is not it's not actually about destruction but about he talks about a gambler um or anyone who's sort of displaying displaying sort of behavioral addictive behavior not chemical behavioral addictive behavior and I, I think it, it, it applies to me with like um, takeaway food or just eating badly or things like that. He, he says so. Oh, the gambler feels like what they want, what they can do is just sort of make. No, this is the last time. I'm never going gambling again. This event, I am making this moment in my life, this Pauline Damascene moment where I will never ever do that thing again. And you create this sort of, um, you know, sort of imagine it as a wall between you and the gambling table, or a wall between you and social media, or whatever it is that you, you know, habit that you're trying to break. And you try and construct this wall, but it doesn't work because you made the wall. It's, it's sort of, it's not real. There, you can't actually implement a real gap between you and your choices. You're always going to be able to unmake it because you made it in the first place. So I'd say that, that that kind of desire that you're talking about for the end of the world so that we can have these chosen 40 who will create a better society is that that would be a real destruction. You know, it'd be like, um, it would be easy not to... Um, be addicted to gambling if there was just no gambling tables anywhere mm, yeah because already you, you're willing to put a, a barrier between you and it trying to destroy your attraction to it trying to destroy your own desire but you cannot destroy desire you can destroy the world though which is something we should probably take a lot more seriously than we do brilliant that might be the last line <laughs> no seriously yeah that was a good last that. line, yeah. Yeah, that was the last line. Because I've... Dun, I'm looking, ding, 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 yeah, ding. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, we should probably... Yeah.